We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Michael Phillips on the show today from the Washington Times. Now Michael writes for. Love Michael on the show. He will join me in the next segment. A show presented, as always, by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION. Go to windownation.com. Mention my name. They'll take really good care of you. So I I want to read a tweet and an email here in this opening segment of the show. I will talk some Terps hoops at the end of the show for those of you that watched Maryland last night against Nichols State. And I'll also weigh in on Talia Leah Tungavailoa opting out of the bowl game and talk about where Leah ranks in the history of Maryland quarterbacks because he is the all-time passing yardage leader and holds many other records in Maryland football history as well. Um, But this tweet and and email to start the show from Robin on Twitter. Kevin, Sam's lost confidence and that's why he was benched. Some of it is his fault and the rest of it's on coaching. Um, Okay, Uh, that from Robin. This from a very honest Bart on Twitter. Kevin, I am standing down, LOL. I'm one of those that you have referenced as being convinced that Sam Howell is a franchise quarterback. I haven't gone as far as some on the internet have gone, but I did criticize you on Twitter for not seeing what I thought was pretty obvious. I thought you were just in your go-opposite-everyone mode or were just being stubborn. I think when he says go-opposite-everyone mode, he's talking about sort of my contrarian view. That's more smell-testy, you know, gambling-related, Bart. Um, But he wrote, I thought you were just in your go-opposite-everyone mode or you were just being stubborn. I was not a Wentz guy, just so you know. So not all the Hal believers were also wrong about Wentz, as you've said. But the benching on Sunday is all I needed to know that I've been wrong about Hal. For Rivera to bench a guy that he was touting as much as he was, including trying to take credit for his greatness before he had ever become anything close to great when he gave his give me my Super Bowl trophy speech before the season began was, as you said, telling. Um... Yeah, I mean he's refer you know referencing the you know if we go eight eight and one and I get fired and I've left forty of fifty three players that win a Super Bowl along with a quarterback send me my Super Bowl ring. Um, by the way, I just want to interject something here too. Um, I, I don't 
Tommy and I talked about how, you know, how telling it was that they had gotten to the point where they benched Sam Howell in a game. Um, but I think we didn't emphasize, Bart, what you just emphasized, which we emphasized the idea that it was, you know, this season's always been about Sam Howell and the development, and it's always been we're developing, you know, be patient. We we let him play through it, you know, at the end of the Buffalo game, at the end of other games. We're not going to pull him. We're going to let him play through these things and work through the, those things, and then they didn't on Sunday. But it's been more than that, Bart, as you point out. I mean, they've been – Ron's been pretty bullish on Sam all year. You know, he's been w- trying to wish this thing into existence – so to bail on that to a certain degree was very telling. Um, anyway, I continue with Bart's very long email, uh, but I appreciate it, Bart. Uh, and then you he writes, and then for him to answer the post-girl's question, uh, the post-girl is Nikki Javala, Bart. Um, but uh, obviously, I think you didn't know her name. Um, so... Uh, he writes, and then for him to answer Nikki Javala's question and admit that Brissette would be starting games if the games mattered, the door for me was slammed shut on Hal being the future of this franchise. I'd be lying if the benching was the only thing that slammed the door shut for me. Sam hasn't been a good quarterback since the Seattle game, and it doesn't seem that much of a coincidence that the defenses have gotten better since that game. I've learned the following lesson that I'm willing to admit, Kevin. Rushing to judgment on quarterbacks is a big mistake. Love listening to the show. Now, what about Forbes? Are you ready to say he was a bad first-round pick? Uh, Didn't you learn the lesson that you shouldn't rush to judgment? Well, you said on quarterbacks. Maybe you should throw in corners as well. Um, No, Bart, I'm not ready to say Forbes was a bad first-round pick yet. But I am ready to say that it's not a good sign as to where he is right now when in a meaningless game, the team's first round pick got six snaps. Something's not right there. I am willing to concede that it's not good that Emmanuel Forbes is barely playing at the end of the of what's become a lost season, and he's healthy as far as we know. These should be the games he's 100% playing in. Um, anyway, quick, by the way, a quick kind of off the topic turn, because you reminded me of something with the Forbes comment, the, the, the Forbes conversation reminds me that this defense, which has been the most disappointing thing of the season for me, the most surprising and the most disappointing thing of the season for me, remember in the preseason, it didn't play a lick of football, but Forbes did. Emmanuel Forbes and I think Barton, you know, the newcomer, I think they played, but the rest of the starting defense didn't play at all. I mean, barely at all. Maybe that was a red flag on Forbes um, that we should have noticed. But, you know, I think we chalked it up to he's a rookie. They're putting him out there so he can get used to playing against NFL players. And with Barton, he's new to the team. But, you know, maybe, maybe – Maybe they were concerned and they were trying to get a more of a look-see on him. Uh, they were, you know, by not playing their starters in preseason on defense, they were very confident about their defense before the season began. So was I. And I was totally off on that one. Um, so Bart and Robin, 
Um, first of all, Robin, on Sam losing confidence and that being on the coaches to a certain degree, maybe they have asked him to do too much. Maybe that's part of it. You know, so maybe, you know, having him throw the ball more than any quarterback in the league, taking on a lot of responsibility. I don't know. I haven't knocked the, the strategy, given that this was more of a developmental year for Sam and not necessarily, as we've really found out, about winning. Because I think kind of if it was just about winning, I think we would have seen Brissett earlier. I really do. But um, maybe they they asked him to do too much. Um I I just it's it's not that I have had a problem with the pass attempts. I've had a problem with Eric Bieniemy not learning during the course of the season from my perspective, a fan perspective, that the pure dropback stuff just wasn't something that they could do consistently and be competitive. And I think some of that stuff perhaps led to Sam maybe losing some of the confidence, Robin, that you've suggested. Although Sam doesn't seem to be a guy that really um, wallows in confidence or, you know, uh, down uh, moments. Um, I I don't know. Maybe you're right. Um, It it may be a part of the issue on why they pulled him on Sunday. Uh, But the confidence loss, if true, is much more about, let's be specific, about the part of the game that we don't see as clearly as the coaches and players do, and that's the stuff that he's missing. The easy throws that are there that he's not getting to, and perhaps because he's not seeing those things, you know, he senses frustration from coaches and maybe teammates, and maybe that's affecting his confidence a little bit because it's not about his arm. It's not about his mobility. It's not about his toughness. He's not sweating that stuff if he's sweating anything at all. It's the, you know, it's the knowing what to do part as it relates to. This is the design of the play. This is what you got to be looking at. This is what you got to process quickly. And this is where you got to go with it based on this look, et cetera. And I think he's been lacking in that area for a while. You know, and how much of that is on him versus the coaches, I'm not sure. They could always simplify, simplify, but it wouldn't surprise me if they've already simplified. Um, They could have gone to the run game more, but he was still going to have to throw the ball. Um, Anyway, um, Bart, I appreciate the the email and the admission. I do, but you're you're the aberration, just so you know. I've barely heard, and it's not surprising, barely heard from many of the people who regularly tell me uh, and others like me how idiotic we are that we don't see Sam as a franchise quarterback. I, they always go silent um, after uh, games like this. Um, I mean, one of my favorites is just the consistent – He's the best we've had since Theismann, which has been a consistent sort of don't even try to to, to put Kirk Cousins into the Sam Howell class, Sheehan. Uh, you know, th- that's a joke. Sam's much more talented with much more upside than Kirk Cousins. Um, I've just ignored those for the most part. Um, so premature. Um, more, more than that, though, it's just kind of a lack of even the most basic fan understanding of what's important to the position. I think Sam has talent. I do. I think Sam's going to be a quarterback in the league at the very least as a backup. I do. I think I've learned that from watching him this year. But his flaws were and are 
serious ones. We've been talking about them all year long. We've been talking about the sacks and holding on to the ball too long all year long. It's why he got picked in the fifth round. It's why it was always going to be more of a longer shot than others that he would turn out to be that needle in a haystack day three pick. The offensive line, just as a matter of fact, is still per next gen right in the middle of the league in pass block win rate. Pass block win rate. 17th through Sunday. Sam Cosme per PFF was the highest graded player on the team Sunday with a 92 grade and has the second highest rated PFF guard number over the last five weeks. Do I think the line is great? No, I don't. I don't. But it hasn't been as bad as some of you want to make it out to be. Um, But don't beat yourself up, Bart, because I don't think the other side should be congratulating themselves right now either. He's got three games left against excellent defensive teams. You know, and it's been an up-and-down season for him uh, through 14. I mean, more down recently, but he's going he's gonna to get the chance to turn things around starting Sunday. You know, at one point during the season, actually a few points during the season, I expected him to play well. I remember going into that Thanksgiving Day game. I said, I think that he's going to play well. I thought he was going to play well against Seattle. That was one of the picks I had Washington where they were right this year. Four and two in the smell test with in games involving Washington, and that was a win. I expected him to play well a couple of times he delivered. That's how encouraging some of his performances were, especially a few games there midseason. Am, am I expecting that Sunday or against San Francisco or Dallas? Not really, but let's see what happens. Um, I'm a very strong lean at this point, that he's not going to you know, convince me over the final three games, 17 total, that he's a true you know, upper-level franchise quarterback or maybe even someone good enough to just build around. Um, but these last three opponents, especially the last two, which they should be in position, Dallas and San Francisco, to play those games, to win those games for you know division or seeding purposes. They'll be the toughest tests for him of the season. Uh, you know, I'm not looking for arm strength or playmaking ability, play, playmaking ability in any of those three. He's got that. We know what he has. You know, and by the way, that's a lot more than a lot of guys who have been quarterbacking this year have. I'm looking for. Progress on process, you know, because he hasn't made much here recently. He's going to get sacked or near if he's going to get sacked or nearly sacked a bunch in these final three games, then he hasn't made progress on the process, on decision making. That's what you're looking for. You know, he's going to make some plays with his legs. We know that, even against good teams. And that's why, he, that's why we know, I think I know, he's going to be in this league as a backup, worst case. He's mobile. He can make plays. Jay's always said, you know, mobility you want in that backup quarterback. But if he's still got a shot to be something more than that, he's got to make progress on decision-making and process. You know, that's what you've got to see if you're evaluating him. If he's where he was on Sunday against the Rams, all of these games down the stretch could get really ugly. 
Um, yeah, I did say I'm a very strong lean at this point that he's not going to be a franchise quarterback. That he's not going to be somebody that I always felt was best case, which wasn't you know elite or top tenish. But I always said my best case for him was Andy Dalton. You know, I'm probably a strong lean against that as well right now. I think it's a combination of what we've seen over the last four games, coupled with you know what Bart said, the benching, and then you know being very public about you know this guy that they've touted as the guy. And they took the, you know, they basically took a hit to that, and they were willing to take a hit to that. Um, it's it, it. Sunday was kind of a peek behind the curtains that we haven't had really, other than you know our own evaluations. It's a tough admission for a head coach who, as Bart said, you know, prematurely took credit. You know, he was way too presumptuous about what Sam would be, and I said all along that it was a lot of wish casting. And that wish hasn't been granted yet. Um, but again, you know, it's it sounds like since the Rams game, we're we're piling on Sam. The bottom line is for a fifth round pick, he's proven a lot, a lot more than most fifth round picks about what he could be in this league. Like I still think there's some Gardner Minshew in him. Gardner Minshew's starting games. He's been able to start games in a pinch, win games. He may start a playoff game this year for Indianapolis. But um, beyond that, you know, seems like those hopes are fading and they will be in the market for a quarterback come the April draft, assuming they lose these final three games. All right, uh, Michael Phillips next right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Right now, if you're in the market for new windows, buy two, get two free, so you're paying half price on the windows. And if you want to finance your purchase, 0% interest rates for five years. I've been endorsing Window Nation for an amazing 14 years. Uh, yeah, they pay me, but uh, I wouldn't have been doing it for this long if I didn't believe in them. Uh, everybody has great experiences with Window Nation. You will as well. Use my name when you call them. They'll give you a free estimate so you've got nothing to risk. And the deal right now is a good one. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Jumping on with me right now is our good friend Michael Phillips, who now writes 
for the Washington Times. Tommy's paper, at Michael P. in RVA on Twitter. Um, Nothing significant today, right from Ron Rivera or Sam Howell on Wednesdays when the quarterback speaks and the head coach speaks. We didn't get him to, you know, double down on if the game was meaningful on Sunday that, you know, Jacoby Brissett would probably be the starter. We didn't get him to make that mistake again, did did we? Did did not. Uh, it was a, it was a gaff free performance. Uh, just uh, <laughs> hopeful Sam will learn from last week. Knows he will, and uh, Sam's excited to uh, get another opportunity. A, a gaff free uh, day from Ron Rivera. <laughs> what are the odds on gaff free? Even money? You think? <laughs> It's, uh, you know, the signs, like it's been two days since yeah. they workplace incidents. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll throw another number on the sign. We're good till tomorrow. We're good till tomorrow. That was what we were saying. Um, Tommy and I have been saying that for years with Dan Snyder because it's really, you know, from the episode when Michael Scott, if you're an Office fan, is down tearing up the warehouse and, you know, they, <laughs> they walk over to the board that says, you know, 312 days since the last accident and they erase it and write zero. And with Dan Snyder, it seemed like every four or five days you had to erase it and write zero again since the last accident. Um, I mean, amazingly, this isn't the craziest final days of a coach we've had in this decade. Um, you know, may may not even be top two, uh, top three if you want to extend it further. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been through it. Uh, all of us, fans included, have been through it at the end of years. This is, you know, look. It became a lot more interesting on Sunday. So let's start there because that's been, you know, the lead all week long. So what did you think when it happened? Yeah, and my question after the game to Ron was, did you or Eric make that decision? He said, this is my decision. I wanted to get him out of there. Um, I definitely think it was to prevent further embarrassment. Um, you know, that, that, you know, you didn't want a late pick six or the score getting out of it, you know, getting even wider, the margin getting even wider. It just so happened that Brissett has been sitting on the sideline taking notes like, oh, the offensive line's bad. All right, I've got, you know, a second and a half to throw it. Ah, this McLaurin kid, he's pretty good. He went out there, he put all those things together. He, he led a couple nice drives. Now, the other thing I was thinking in that moment, which kind of isn't, you know, the first thing, the quarterbacks are the first thing, but the second thing is, Holy cow, how does it take you three minutes and a two-minute warning to score from the one-yard line? That was equally astounding. So Tommy and I talked a lot yesterday, and I've been on you know uh, all week long talking about it. And I opened the show today reading a few different emails from people who said, because I, I, I think I titled the show yesterday, The Benching Was Telling, something like that, whatever. Um, and we discussed it yesterday, and I'm, I'm curious as to what – you think it said. Yeah, it said, I, look, the one thing I've got that I can leave here with is I found you a quarterback, and my quarterback's not performing well right now. I need to get him out of here before there's more evidence mounting that I haven't found a quarterback. That, that, that was my, my tell there, um, my take there for, from Ron's decision to, to bench Sam Howell, and, of course, to correctly recommit to him right away after the game. Uh, the Monday, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know why he said the thing about the playoffs in the postseason. That that was that was a full head, that was a full head scratcher to me. I don't think that served anybody. Um, but you, you look at this final stretch here: Jets, Niners, Cowboys. Uh, things are going to get worse for Sam before they get better. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I you, I, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting the way you phrase it. It was like, I don't want him out here any longer because people are going to start to catch on that I'm not leaving them with something I'll be vindicated for, and they'll send me a Super Bowl trophy or a Super Bowl ring for. Grant was on my radio show, Grant Paulson, with uh, with me today, and he said that you know he thought that maybe it was an opportunity for Ron Andor EB to show management that Sam's held the offense back a little bit, which is another way to look at it. That never occurred to me. Did it occur to you? Well, I, my, my alternative is, right, that EB's in the market for himself now, and that, that's why I'd be curious. His involvement here, he's not going to be here next year. I feel pretty confident saying that at this juncture, just with the way things are going. Right. The results, the need a completely clean house. I, I don't know. I don't think I need to justify that, that any further, but I also don't think He's, you know, like, you know, he's going to get tossed out of the league or anything. Like, I think he'd, look at what the Chiefs have done. The Chiefs have struggled this year offensively without him. Look at what he was able to inject into the team out of the gate. I, I think there's a place for him. But the last, you know, he's still playing for something here. The last three weeks will be very telling for him as to will he get an offensive coordinator look somewhere? Will he get a head coaching look somewhere? You know, that, that seems increasingly doubtful. Um, but these remain very important weeks for him. And I, I do think Jacoby Brissett gives the, the team the better chance to win right now. That's not the goal, and that's not Ron's goal. Uh, that's only Eric Bieniemy's goal. So we, we have a lot of conflicting goals happening at the moment here. Yeah. Well, we kind of did even before the season started in some ways. Yeah, we did. Um, so I, I think it's fascinating that uh, here we are just a couple of days after what was really a game with seven and a half minutes to go in it that we were going to leave talking about, you know, constructively criticizing Sam for another off day, um, you know, talking about the defense being pretty poor once again. Uh, you know, a season spiraling out of control, bad team. I mean, you've covered this team for a long time. This is truly one of the worst seasons in terms of performance we've ever seen, and there are a lot to compare them to. Um, But it then changed into this, oh, my God, they just publicly, for all intents and purposes, unless people read it differently. I think most people who have been paying attention read it the way you read it, the way I read it, and that is there was some frustration level, there was – some, uh, you know, fear that it was going to get worse for him and, you know, and maybe, you know, whatever. Um, But the bottom line is we went from, you know, another bad performance during this bad performance stretch, not a good day for Sam. Uh, People who are convinced on Sam probably not being persuaded um, by another bad performance. People who, you know, were Sam's not the guy, probably more persuaded that he wasn't the guy. People in the middle probably leaning heavily in the direction of maybe he's not the guy to, you know, as the the email that I I read in, in the beginning of this show today um, that was sent to, to me by Bart. Bart basically said I was a major believer and Ron basically told me by benching him and then the next day saying Jacoby Brissett would have been the starter in a meaningful game. It slammed the door shut for me on Sam Howell. Now maybe that's even an exaggeration, but it's kind of remarkable what ended up being the result of Ron's in-game decision. Is is the way people people they told us publicly that he 
in their opinion, might not be the guy, and that's not what they've been saying all year. Yeah, and this team has showed us that that they may not be the team. They've showed us that all year. I'll throw one more log on that fire, Kevin, and that is I think it's going to be very important for them down the stretch that Sam Howell does not set the record for most sacks taken in one season. Uh, Entering the game, he was on pace to tie David Carr's rookie season, 76 sacks. That's the, that's the high watermark in the NFL. Um, and certainly late game is where the Rams would have had an opportunity to log a couple more, although they seemed more interested in batting the passes down. Uh, you know, two bats, which are, uh, you know, situations that could have turned into sacks. Um, by getting him out with just one, he's now not on pace to set that record. Um, I think you, you look at those tangible things as, things that's very important for Ron, for these guys to avoid having that on ESPN, right? Having that on the ticker. Sam Howell sets NFL record most times sacked in a season. Uh, I think that that may have played a role and may play a role here in these final games as well if things get out of control. Well, that's a that's a new twist. Why do you think that would matter to them? I think the only thing that matters right now is reputation and, and, and image and, you know, any – Anything that is shown, you know, these guys aren't breaking through nationally, right? This Jets game is going to get about four minutes on on red zone cumulatively if they're lucky. Uh, and you know, in, in Boomer's fastest three minutes, say they'll they'll just completely ignore it. They'll breeze over it, right? Like, you know, these guys aren't moving the needle nationally at all. And I think that's probably the way Ron likes it right now, just laying low. Uh, a quarterback setting the record for most times sacked in a season, especially if that Cowboys game ends up in any kind of national slot. That's pretty embarrassing, right? That's pretty embarrassing for a team you assembled, an offseason you spent willfully ignoring the offensive line, and a quarterback you've proclaimed to be the future of the franchise. That's a pretty bad headline right there. So I I could see why they would want to work to avoid that. Um, And part two, the corollary is, if that is a factor here, we may not have seen his last benching of the season. Uh, that was going to be one of my next questions. Tom, uh, Tom asked me yesterday, do you think it'll happen again? I said, I don't think it will, but I can't. I think the problem, of course, is they're playing arguably three, well, per the DVOA metric, three of the best six defenses I mean, no in argument. the league um, the rest of the way. Uh, and so um, yeah, this the, these he was not in danger on Sunday. I think we would all agree this was not one of those games where he was battered around and sacked, you know, many no. times. Um, but that could be the case in one of these final three games, and it may actually be an honest, sincere response if they pull him that they wanted to protect him at that point. So, so I'm. I guess you've answered the question. You think there's a chance he'll get pulled again? I think there's absolutely the chance he might get pulled again. I, I, I do think, barring you know major catastrophe, he will start all three of these. Um, you know, maybe Brissett gets thrown a bone in the last one if things are just entirely out of hand. Um, that you, you, you know, thank, thank you for being a good mentor here. We understand you're playing for a contract. We're, we're going to draw some plays up for you, see what you can do. I think on the whole, though, the goal will be to start Sam all three games. Uh, definitely not ruling out. Another benching, though, and, you know, as you mentioned, very honestly, for his protection, right? Jets are good. Niners are good. Uh, And the Cowboys defense, of course, speaks for itself with what it's done as well. Uh, You know, this is a brutal schedule to finish with. Um, Now, the the thing I've always said, and I'll I'll double down on it, Sam controls his own destiny for next year, right? If they lose out and they're the number three pick in the draft, we're going to be talking quarterback for four months, and that's going to be very fair. 
if he can scratch one out or scratch two out and they're picking at number eight or number nine, we're talking about left tackles and tight ends. It's a very different conversation. Yeah, I mean, Sam, for his future with the next regime, would love to figure out how to engineer two wins in the final three so that they're not picking in the top five, like you just said. I mean, that's, you know, therein lies, like, just um, the obvious answer to when people, you know, talk about teams tanking. Players are never tanking. Like, in the NBA, these are the the tanking, these are organizational decisions that are made in terms of who ends up playing in these games. And the people that they play in the games aren't going to try any less. They're fighting for contracts. In Sam's case, to your to your point, he's fighting to keep them from drafting a quarterback in the top five. Um, if you know, if if he believes he should be the starter and wants to be the starter um, next year, no, it's it's. Uh, it's more um, subtle than that. It's like you know, pulling Sam and putting in whomever the quarterback is on the practice squad. It's what the Eagles did at the <laughs> yeah. in, in 2020, and you know, by putting in Nate Sudfeld. Nate Sudfeld. Yeah, uh, it's what they did. You know, in game because Jalen Hurts was giving them a chance to win that game. All right. So, um, what's we don't know what who the re- new regime is going to be. We don't know what the, their decision process is. So I'm not asking what you think they'll do. I'm asking you what you think Sam Howell's future in the NFL is. Well, and, you know, look, how many teams have played a backup quarterback this year? I don't have the answer off the top of a my lot. head, but I bet it's more than more than half probably. Yeah, have probably. started a backup quarterback at least once this year. That's an important position to invest in, and that's an important position to have in a 17-game season. And the modern NFL, with pass rushers as good as they are, uh, with quarterbacks being as mobile as they have to be now, which opens them up to even more opportunities to get hit. Um, if, if there is a quarterback drafted by this team in the first round, I have zero issues and would encourage them to keep Sam around and continue to develop him and continue to, to have him on the roster and tell him, look, you'll probably get a chance to play this year. That's how this works. Or even... You know, we're giving Sam the first six games of the season while the rookie learns and develops because you know, that's proven to be a successful approach as well. Uh, I don't think it's the end of the line for him at all if he's not the starter next year, which isn't to say he won't be. He could turn it on here down the stretch. But if they bring in another quarterback for next year, uh, I'd absolutely be in favor of keeping him around. And I mean, they've got cap space. I wouldn't mind keeping three good quarterbacks around. I think Brissett will probably want to go somewhere where he might get a chance, I'll uh you know, Heineke in Atlanta kind of situation. But if he's up for staying around, I'm cutting that check. It's, it's the most important position in sports. Uh, I don't understand why teams like the Jets uh, handle it as poorly as they do in terms of not having a legitimate backup plan. Yeah, and I think some of the conversation in the last couple of, of days, there are some out there that would probably deem it to be way too over-the-top critical of Sam Howell. Um, you know, it's like some of the Eric Bieniemy conversation, you know, earlier in the year. It's like, well, Ron told us all that there was a problem with Eric Bieniemy, and Ron told <laughs> us on Sunday that there were issues with Sam Howell. But I, I, I don't want it to get um, – what you just said is true. I mean, to me, there's still been over 14 games a lot of good – and I think on some level he's proven that he can play quarterback in this league at some level um, to be determined, but at the very least uh, a backup quarterback. And if they draft a young quarterback, you know, very high, 
I'd I'd be thrilled to have Sam Howell be the backup quarterback. You know, in fact, it's 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 interesting, right? That last year, one of the reasons some people thought it was best that Taylor Heineke move on is that the people that were so in love with Taylor Heineke that couldn't see that he was primarily a backup NFL quarterback would be screaming in these games to have him in there when Sam Howell was was developing. Um, but I, I but I don't think that would be the case with Sam Howell sticking around if you draft somebody super early there's a big difference huge difference and and yeah and not to suggest the fans don't like sam i, I think sam Howell has been well received here but if Jaden daniels exactly. is standing up at the uh, podium for an introductory press conference uh yeah no no nobody's suiting or hollering for sam in that moment. right um by the way i counted i think i have this right 17 out of the 32 teams have started more than one quarterback this year um, there you go, more than half. I, that seems high, but I bet you there have been years when you've had that much. I think the, the, what, what's made this interest, what might make this more noticeable, is how many teams have gone to third string quarterbacks and how many starters have literally been knocked out for the year. Um, it seems high. It does to me anyway. Um, yeah, third, third, third's interesting because man, once you get to three, like that, that kid has not gotten any reps. Uh, you can't give them reps in a in a two hour practice day that you get on Wednesday. Uh, it, it's very hard for a team to succeed long term with with a three. Yeah, I mean the Jets, the Browns, the um, Vikings. the Vikings. Uh, yeah, there have been multiple teams that have gotten down to third, and even in the case of the Browns, I mean Flacco is I think is the fourth quarterback, and <laughs> the Jets have started four quarterbacks this year. Um, all right, Incredible. let's move to another uh, part of the team. Emmanuel Forbes played just six snaps on Sunday in a game that was utterly meaningless for all intents and purposes. So what does that tell you about how they view Emmanuel Forbes and his rookie season and maybe beyond? That was that. That was wild to me, and Ron cited the matchup uh, as, as being a reason. And look, if he's still nursing the injury, and say he's still nursing the injury, but they gave him the full – Full clearance, he's good to go, and and I've got no choice but to believe that. Is, is obviously that's what's on the the mandated injury report. Um, that blew my mind, um, and and for Ron to cite the matchup, I mean that that's a huge vote of no confidence here. And and I posted earlier this week that I mean four first round picks have arguably all been misses under Ron. Um, you know, not to say any of these guys won't have good pro careers because I actually think some of them still could. Um, but if you miss on four first-round picks and four years of coaching a team, uh, you're not going to hang around for very long. And that, that's what we're seeing here, right? You, you, you draft a guy in the first round to be a playmaker and get your takeaways, and he didn't play and he didn't get takeaways. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think it's always too early, you know, even even through a first year. But again, Very much so. again, when you get to, you know, you're looking for signs at the end of the year in a meaningless game, uh, if you're only playing your healthy first-round corner six snaps, that's very telling as to what they think of him right now and his development, um, which is kind of uh trouble discouraging yeah it is um <laughs> i mean yeah yeah uh biggest t- disappointment this season is is it easy that it was the defense oh yeah because i mean 
after the numbers from last year, you think, all right, these guys are going to take a step forward this year. Turnover luck generally evens itself out year over year. The defensive line had four first-round picks. Uh, the defense had six first-round picks out there starting on opening day to be this bad. Um, and, and to be right, because you've got Jack and his schemes, and they didn't work, and then you've got Ron saying we're going to simplify things, and then you've got you know the Cooper Cup touchdown uh, that, that was just, I mean, there is no explanation for that touchdown that gives credit to Cooper Cup. Um, not not to disrespect him, I think he's a great receiver. I think Matt Stafford's a great quarterback. There's no explanation for that play where they outsmart the defense. The explanation is the defense went the bad on the, on their own essentially. Um, and to have a group with this much talent be doing that in Week 15, monster disappointment. Uh, only because I can't pick the long snapper. It's the biggest disappointment. Do you think anybody else uh, from the defense, I'm not talking about the free agents to be, the Cam Curls, the Kendall Fullers, because it's possible they won't be back. But do you think there's any chance that they continue shredding some of those first-round defensive linemen? John Allen, Deron Payne would be up next for draft choices or not? Well, I, I think the next group's going to see in Deron Payne a really valuable nose tackle type player um, on a reasonable contract. I mean, you you shed those contracts so you can go sign guys like that out on the open market. I, I don't think Deron Payne's going anywhere. Now, obviously, I left off Allen out of that answer. I, I think Allen's the kind of guy you want to build around. He really does have a great work ethic, a great attitude, gets after it every day. He's the kind of guy you want to build around. But that contract is really good um, in terms of being able to trade it and be in a below-market-value situation. This is probably the year in a normal course of business where Jonathan Allen would ask for his extension and his raise because he's deserved that. He's been arguably underpaid over this two-year stretch since signing the extension. Uh, I think the contract makes it uh, much more likely that, that he gets traded than it would just on his own. Not to mention, and I, I, I don't know if you've heard some of the same things, you know, I, I don't know that John would be against being traded, you know, uh, after... Well, you say he said that, yeah. Yeah. He did say that? Yeah, he said that uh, on the junkies about... Oh, right, 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 that, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. that he's uh, open to... Uh, That's right. ...to being traded. He wants to be somewhere where he can win. And look, you know, I, and I, I said in, in the moment on that, like, this is the time of year, and you know this from, from being around football players... Every football player uh, feels like crap right now. Uh, you know, it, it's December. You go out and practice in the cold. The hits feel harder in the cold. You go play the games. Everybody feels like this is the end. They're going to retire if they're on a losing team, that this is miserable. They don't want to go through this again or they want to be traded. Those attitudes cool over time. You know, you get to March, get to April, infuse a little optimism into the building. He'll feel differently in terms of what he says publicly. Um, but I, I do think the next group may explore that as an option for sure all right we both agree that you know this regime is going to be gone when the dallas game ends the next day um so are you hearing anything or do you have a hunch on kind of the direction they're going to go in terms of structure you know gm coach just coach centric or maybe a team president gm coach and then do you have any wild kind of ideas or information as it relates to, to names? Yeah, well, I, I think that you start with this. They've cast a very wide net. You've heard about them talking with 
you know, it, it either available coaching candidates who they can talk to, uh, you know, through third parties, of course, you can talk to guys, put the feelers out now. They're not at any competitive advantage by not, sorry, competitive disadvantage by not making the move right now. So we'll be very clear about that. Um, they're definitely. Explain that real quickly. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. A lot of people think oh, yeah. that they should be fired because it creates a competitive advantage in the hiring process. Explain to everybody that thinks that why that's not true. Yeah, it creates a competitive advantage in the amount of PR you can do around looking for a new coach, but it doesn't change the amount of work you can do in looking for a new coach, right? You think about in college how so many times the coach leaves one day and then the new guy's there sitting sitting down the next day. <laughs> right. Well, they didn't just throw a dart at a board, right? You know, it, the teams, you know, Josh Harris, uh, those guys are prohibited from talking to guys who are under contract with NFL teams right now. There's a whole orbit of people agents, PR people, uh, intermediaries, uh, who could talk to anybody they want at any time they want, even some journalists, right? Uh, you know, you hear about, you know, journalists being in the middle of trades and stories and in the cases of people like Schefter, kind of knowing who's on the market and helping to set the market. They, they're under no restrictions. They can talk to anybody they want. Word gets around and word gets around freely this time of year. So there's, there's zero competitive disadvantage uh, to their, their position right now, hanging on to Ron Rivera through the last game. Now, the other wrinkle is the NFL has been very adamant. They don't want movement uh, with te- when teams are in the playoffs and with teams moving through the Super Bowl. That incident with Jonathan Gannon, uh, you know, I, I think they, they kind of avoided a big PR hit on that, but they're pretty determined to make sure something like that doesn't happen again. So I think you're going to see them really clamp down on that this year and, and with the playoff teams in particular. Um, that said, I, I think it's interesting. They've talked to a bunch of coaches. They've talked to a bunch of GMs you know, types, and, and you've got to decide which direction you're going to go, and that may depend on who you can get and what's available, right? If you if you get a GM you love, you're more likely to go that way and then build it through the coach. That That's, I think, the, the lean a lot of people have right now. But if you think you can get a Harbaugh, um, if you think you can get a big name uh, that, that's going to set the tone in here and come in and win right away and has a proven track record, um, you know, may, maybe steer the ship in another direction than you thought you would. Do you think there's a chance that they would go the route of sort of football czar and then GM? You know, I think about Bill Parcells, Jeff Ireland years ago in Miami. There have been a, uh, several other examples of that. Is there any part of you that thinks that we may get two football overseers? Yeah, I'm going to be a pretty underwhelming guest for you here, Kevin. Yeah, sure. That's <laughs> on the table for you. It's a pretty big table. I got a lot of stuff on the table here. I and they've done a great job, the Harris Group, of, of not tipping their hand extensively on which route they want to go, um, in part because I, I think they truly are open to and considering all options, including that. And I think you look at the people they've brought into the building, right, the Eugene Shins and then the player development people um, and, and the medical side people, right, this is a group that's really committed to extensively overhauling the personnel side, bringing in people uh, who are going to make a difference potentially in terms of signing a better roster, developing a better roster, and then uh, you know treating that roster better once the players are here in Aspirin, which is a very long and eloquent way of saying I have no earthly idea right. which way they're going to go. I'm not sure they know which way they're going to go either, but there is very, very little that I'm, I'm taking off the table here. All right. Uh, last two for you. Um, back to Sam and Eric Bieniemy in particular because I meant to ask this of you earlier. Um, Does any part of you think that looking back over 14 games that Biennemi's offense 
wasn't the right fit for Sam and maybe we'd feel differently about Sam in a different kind of offense? Or do you think it was the right path offensively for Eric Bieniemy to take? I don't know that I can tell you it was definitively the right path, but I completely dismiss the criticism that there could have been a better path. Uh, you look at what Sam Hell got, a fifth-round draft pick who got a full QB1 commitment, got paired with a Super Bowl-winning offensive coordinator, got a full endorsement from the staff at every juncture the entire offseason, got to play 14 NFL games with nobody questioning whether he would be benched. Sure, things of the system probably could have been tweaked to be better, but you know what? That's life in the NFL. The life in the NFL is he's going to be learning a new system next year, and he got more than he could have possibly hoped for in terms of a fair audition and a fair shake to play. Um, if I have any criticism, it's that they should have done more on the offensive line this offseason. I, I think that would have been immensely helpful to him in, in his young growth, but uh, you know that, that didn't happen. And uh, I think at the end of the day, in the final tally here, I say, you know, sure, you can critique what EB did and, and you know nip along the sides, but I, I can't think of a wholesale approach that would have definitively been better. Uh, and I think he was treated a you know, mighty fairly for what he was, a late-round draft pick. All right, the last question is this, and you may not have an opinion, but you are a Virginia guy, even though you are a yes, I am uh, not a Northern Virginia guy. Um, so what was your reaction to the news last week, the joint announcement between Ted Leonsis and the state of Virginia about moving the Wizards and Caps to Potomac Yard? Sure, I'll hit, I'll hit you with the, uh, the my bullet point, uh, you know, my first slide here. One is, you know, for, for them to just completely dismiss the city's $500 million tells you exactly how much they're going to benefit from this deal and how much is on the table, because you don't, you don't leave D.C. high and dry for 520 or 540, you're talking about orders of magnitude bigger, right? And the, the Post had the 1.3 number. Um, I, I think we'll see it more and more as it shakes out. But it's very clear. This is a massive handout coming uh, to, to Ted Leontis and his group. So uh, that, that gives you some insight as to why they were willing to essentially do the city dirty because of how much they stand to benefit on the other side. Um, look, the, these things, these handouts are traditionally – to revitalize a neighborhood or to provide juice to a neighborhood. Uh, help me if I'm missing it. I don't think Alexandria needs juice. I don't think Potomac Yards needs development or needs people to say, oh, maybe maybe I should consider moving to Alexandria. That seems like a lovely place. Uh, that, that's not a neighborhood that needs that or was begging for that. So I, I don't see what Virginia's upside is other than giving a bunch of politicians a chance to stand in front of a shovel and, and you know, say, hey, look, we built this thing. We want a pro sports team over here. Now, I love downtown. I'm a downtown guy, so I'll, I'll always ride for a nice, vibrant downtown. Uh, I wish they had made it work. Um, billionaires are going to billionaire. That, that's uh, that's how they do their thing. Uh, it, it's a giant financial play for Ted. Uh, I don't begrudge his reaching out his hand for that much money and, and that nice of a facility. Um, but as a citizen and as a sports fan, I reserve the right to tell him uh, I disagree with it. And I think he's a poor steward of one of, of two of this town's, you know, cornerstone sports franchises. And, and I disagree. Uh, well said. Thank you for that. Uh, 
Thank you for the time. As always, Michael Phillips, everybody, now with the Washington Post. Uh, you can read his coverage of oh, the team. Uh, not. Uh, no, not the Washington Post. Uh, <laughs> the, the Washington one, the Times, one. the other paper. Uh, <laughs> the Washington Times. Nikki Javala is still the beat reporter at the Washington Post. Uh, and I'm just thrilled, honestly, and I think a lot of people are, that you're back on the beat uh, with the Washington Times, Michael Phillips at Michael P in RVA. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Same to you. Great to be on. I really like Michael Phillips. Always have liked Michael Phillips. I think he's done a great job covering the team, but I also think he has been an excellent guest uh, on radio, on podcast. Not everybody that does what Michael does ends up being a good guest um, in this format, but he has always been excellent. Uh, Always appreciate his time and insight. All right, we'll finish up with a few things, including Maryland's comeback win last night at Xfinity Center. We'll get to that and more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Thank you, Bobby in Rockville, very much. Bobby gave us five stars on Apple Podcasts, wrote a review as well, a review that he titled Daily Escape, He wrote, great show, the only sports podcast I listen to daily. I was even intrigued to try Magic Spoon, so advertisers should take note. I love Magic Spoon. Miss the Cooley segments, which are my favorite, but understand. Keep it going, Kevin. Bobby in Rockville. Yeah, uh, the Cooley segments have been fewer and further between. Fewer and further between um, this year than I had hoped, uh, and it's real simple. I mean, he's he's busy. He's got young children, and he's not watching Washington every week. And even when I ask him, and I say something like, "Well, I mean, just watch," you know, the, the condensed version, and come on. I mean, not everybody just wants the Cooley film breakdown. A lot of people just like to hear Cooley's voice and hear what he's up to and hear his thoughts on various things. Um, and I agree with that. I mean, not every show we did, and we did a radio show together for nearly three years, not every show that we did was a Cooley film breakdown. Uh, we had a lot of fun, and we talked about a lot of different things. But he's just not paying attention enough. He does watch games, but typically, you know, just a couple every weekend. I talk to him once a week minimum. Um, maybe when we get to the postseason and the playoff games are on and they're just, you know, solo standalone games – and he's watching some of them. We'll try to get him on. But he even said to me recently, I don't want to come on and do you know true analysis if I haven't had time to really put the work in that I used to put in. And I understand that very much um, and appreciate that. But we'll get him on uh, coming up here soon. But rate us and review us if you haven't done so. You could pause the podcast right now. Give us five stars on Apple if you see fit and write a quick one to two sentence review. It really helps us uh, subscribing to the podcast on both Apple and Spotify and anywhere else that you can subscribe to the podcast is a huge help as well. And following us on Apple and Spotify is a big deal. Um, These ratings and reviews really do help us in our effort to sell advertising so that we can monetize this podcast and make it worthwhile um, to do for you every day, uh, Monday through Friday anyway. Um, So uh, do that if you have time. Uh, I wanted to also just give you a heads up. I am doing a show tomorrow, Friday. 
Uh, I will not be doing a show on Christmas Day on Monday, uh, but will do you know a Washington Jets recap and an NFL weekend recap because remember there are three days, uh, three games, excuse me, on Christmas Day as well on a Tuesday podcast. I'm taking a couple of days off radio, Friday and Tuesday off radio, but I will have a podcast on Friday with Jay Gruden, um, with the smell test, with a Washington, you know, Jets preview uh, and pick. Tommy will be on tomorrow's show. He'll give us his Jets Washington pick. And this week I will listen to his prediction, his footnote, which I did play at the end of the show. I did shorten up Tommy's uh, Washington Rams prediction um, from last Thursday show because he did say, I, I, I have a footnote, and he said Jacoby Brissett's going to play. He, he went on to explain that he thought that Sam would take kind of a beating and that he'd be pulled uh, because of that or because he was injured. Um, and he said, I'm not wishing injury on anybody. He wasn't, he didn't really predict a benching. He just predicted Jacoby Brissett would play, which by the way, was still way out there. And he was right. So stay tuned tomorrow for Tommy's Jets, Washington, uh, prediction, plus any footnote that he wants to give us. Uh, but uh, podcast the rest of the week, no podcast on Monday, uh, but there will be a podcast on Tuesday, the day after Christmas. So uh, just a couple of things to finish up with um, here at the end of the show. First of all, uh, to you Maryland basketball fans who watched the Terps last night uh, rally from a nine-point deficit in the second half to beat Nichols State. Yeah, Nichols State, um, 73-67. to uh, yeah, I felt the same way many of you did, which was I did not think they were going to win that game when they were down nine. Um, they were struggling to guard uh, a nickel State team that was not Alcorn State, and it's not Coppin State who they play next week. Um, this team actually beat LSU on the road, um, and they had you know some competitive games against other teams and had won some games uh, this year. Uh, and they had a coach who was on Maryland staff last year who really understood what Maryland was running and the Terps were coming off Christmas, uh, the, the finals week. Um, these are always tricky games this time of year. They play UCLA on Friday night at Pauley Pavilion. UCLA lost to CSU Northridge last night at home um, to end their very long non-conference home winning streak. The Terps have one uh, as well. But as far as the game goes, so I think after they beat Penn State, we talked about that win, um, and I had gone to that game. Uh, and I said, I think one of the keys to a season that, that ends up being successful, and look, a successful season for Maryland is going to the tournament. Anything less than qualifying for the NCAA tournament is a disappointing season for Maryland basketball. Uh, that's not an exaggeration, okay? Maryland basketball needs to go to the tournament you know, every year. And when it doesn't, it's a disappointment if they don't. Uh, they went to the tournament in Kevin Willard's first year last year and had a thrilling win over West Virginia in the first round before losing to a much superior talent-wise Alabama team. I think they've been to the tournament now. I think is is it seven out of eight years, if you include the COVID year, because they were going to be a super high seed in the COVID year. Um 
And uh, this year, the start to this season has put them in jeopardy because they have non-conference losses to Davidson um, and UAB. Uh, Davidson at this point is a good team. Uh, They're like eight and three. Their only losses, I think, are to Clemson and to St. Mary's, you know, two good teams. Uh, But Maryland also lost earlier this year to UAB. Um, Both of these games were in Nashville. Uh, UAB's lost several games since beating Maryland earlier this year. And they got blown out at Villanova and blown out at Indiana. They they did get a win over Penn State, and Penn State followed up that loss to Maryland with a win over Ohio State in their next game. This time of year is, you know, very sketchy in terms of trying to really put your – uh, finger on what kind of team a college basketball team is in November or December. But at the same time, you know, losing games that you shouldn't lose, especially against, you know, tier four, tier five, tier three teams, puts you in jeopardy when you get to March if you're, you know, hovering around that bubble. So they needed to get through the game last night, and they did. Um, but to me, I know who Jameer Young is. He's really good. Uh, Jameer Young was a first-team All-Big Ten selection. Uh, I think he's having that kind of season right now. Where would they be, Terp fans, without Jameer Young um, and his you know 18-plus points a game? Uh, he had 23 last night with the game on the line. He, consistent, he consistently got himself to the free-throw line. Uh, he was 10 for 10 from the free throw line. He's a 93% free throw shooter on the season this year. He's also approaching, fast approaching, uh, Juan Dixon's all-time mark for consecutive free throws, which I think is 42 or 41, and I think he's at 35, somewhere around there. He could break it in their next game on Friday night. Um, and Julian Reese, their center, These are the two guys that you kind of know what you have. Young, spectacular. Reese, a pretty effective big guy. I know there are frustrating moments offensively in particular. Um, And certainly at the free throw line where he really had trouble last night after being really good recently. He was 3 for 11, 1 for 9 at one point last night uh, from the free throw line. But there's not been a third player, and you're not going to survive the Big Ten and you're not going to accumulate enough wins over the course of a season to make it to the NCAA tournament without being, you know, a 10-8, and eight, uh, not 10-8, and eight, a 12-8, and eight, or maybe at this point Maryland's going to have to be a 13-7 and seven type of Big Ten team, no worse than 12-8 and eight to be, and it depends on who the wins are against, of course, uh, but they're going to have to win a bunch of Big Ten games to, um, to to sort of offset what's been a very subpar non-conference uh, at this point. And they're only going to do that if they get contributions from other players, especially a third big-time scorer. Because you know Young and Reese are going to be 1-2 in scoring. And I said last week after they beat Penn State, you know, Dante Scott had a pretty decent game. And I said, he's got to be the guy. He's got to be more consistent. And for whatever reason, he's played very much um, this year without a lot of confidence for a fifth-year guy. A guy that's, you know, accumulated a lot of games and minutes and points and rebounds for Maryland during his career. Um, 
And last night was big because when they went down, they needed somebody to step up, and Dante stepped up. He ended up with 15 points, actually got hurt at one point, cramped up, left the game while he was on a run, by the way, so maybe it would have continued. But he was four for eight from uh, behind the arc, and those were all huge uh, threes. Um, a lot of them shot, you know, after the defense collapsed on Young or, you know, down on Reese. But he's going to have to hit those shots. He still doesn't look confident to me with the ball in his hands. We haven't seen that that patented, you know, Dante backing somebody down. A lot of you hate it. I don't mind it. I actually think he's a decent passer from the post. Um, has a decent jump hook. You know, has some moves. Uh, he's a big dude in and around the rim. Um, but it was big for him. I still don't see his confidence all the way back. He seems, as Naki told me on radio this morning, to defer a lot. I see that. I don't want him to defer. You defer to Jameer Young at the end of a shot clock for sure. You know, um, but but I think Dante's got to be the guy because Deshaun Harris-Smith, going to be a good player. You know, four-star guy, one of the you know better recruits they've had in a while. You know, an absolute stud at the high school level at PVI at Paul VI. By the way, um, the Washington, D.C. area right now, I think, has five teams ranked in the national max preps top 25. I think it's five. Um, just a bunch of teams uh, from the area. Most of them, yes, from the Catholic League uh, in the national top 25. But um, Bullis has a really good team uh, as well this year out of the IAC. But I, I'm not sure Deshaun Harris-Smith is ready to be their third scorer. You know, I'm not sure Jamie Kaiser Jr., who can really shoot it, is ready to become their third scorer. I don't think it's Geronimo, even though I like a lot of what he does energy-wise and athleticism-wise. I think it's got to be Dante Scott. And he was big for them last night. Uh, Jahari Long was big for them last night. And they came back, and they pulled away late, and they won the game 73-67, to and that's... You know, no one's going to, you know, look at the scorecard, as you say in golf, after you make a, a, a four on a par five or, um, you know, chipping in from, you know, 150 yards out. Um, or, you know, you, you chip in from 30 yards out to make par on a, on a par three. Nobody's going to look at it and say, ooh, you were in big trouble on that hole. Um, and you kind of got lucky there. No, uh, they're just going to look at the score, and that's a big win for the Terps. Now they go to Pauly. This is an opportunity, and it's not going to be a, a super high-quality road win because UCLA is 5-5. Five and five. They've lost three in a row, including last night, to CSU Northridge. Um, and, uh, you know, this is not going to be one of those games maybe this year where you can point at it at the, at the end of the year and say, you know, tier one road win or a tier two, you know, road win. Um, but it's very important for Maryland to look much better on the road than they did at Villanova or Indiana. Uh, then, you know, it's Coppin State, and then it's the Big Ten the rest of the way starting on January 2nd with Purdue, the number one team in the country, at Xfinity Center. Uh, so that's what you got coming up. But I'm glad they won the game. Man, too much on the edge of my seat. Nichols State play, played well. I mean, I, I don't want to take anything away from them. Um, uh, they played a good basketball game uh, and knocked down a lot of shots. They were red hot from behind the arc. Um, I just Maryland's got to get Dante Scott to be consistent and to become that third scorer. And to me, he's got to average somewhere between 12 and 14 points per game. Has to for them. And he's got to be more assertive 
uh, for them on the offensive end. Uh, he had a bunch of energy defensively, and when he does, he is a versatile defender for them. You know, he's 6'8", he's 230, he's got a big, strong body, he's a good rebounder, always has been, and he can guard every position. Uh, they're going to need him. Uh, I hope he can step up um, starting Friday night at Pauley Pavilion. But I am glad, very thankful that they got uh, the win. By the way, Virginia destroyed last night at Memphis. Uh, Memphis is pretty good. They were ranked in the top 25. Um, Virginia got blown out in the second half, and the Hoos lose just for the second time this year. They got blown out against Wisconsin earlier this year, and they lost uh, to Memphis by 20 Three last night. Georgetown lost to Butler 74 to 64 on the road. Uh, so the Hoyas had won two in a row, including beating Notre Dame over the weekend uh, in a matchup uh, as well. Uh, but the Hoyas dropped to seven and five overall. Uh, and now um, 0-1 in the Big East after that Big East opener. It's funny to see them, you know, with Syracuse and Notre Dame on their schedule and Rutgers on their schedule earlier this year. It's like, man, they've played a lot of Big East games uh, already. Uh, no, they haven't. They played their first Big East game last night against Butler and lost 74-64. Definitely a rebuild kind of a situation. Going to take, you know, a year or two for Ed Cooley to get it going uh, at Georgetown. Lastly, I didn't mention this yesterday with Tommy, but I wanted to just react to the news that Leah Tungavailoa, Maryland's starting quarterback, has opted out of the Music City Bowl, the Terps matchup on December 30th against Auburn. Um, I'm not sure, you know, those of you that don't follow Maryland football understand what Tua's younger brother did in College Park over the last four years. Uh, he became basically the record holder in every imaginable passing statistic at Maryland. He holds the record for most career passing yards, most passing touchdowns, highest completion percentage, passing efficiency, uh, touchdowns responsible for. He's the all-time Big Ten passing leader in history in the Big Ten yardage-wise, with 11,256 career passing yards. He set that mark in the season finale at Rutgers. A Maryland quarterback is the all-time Big Ten passing leader. Now, I know the Big Ten, for the most part, has been a league for much of its existence that was, you know, run-heavy, three yards and a cloud of dust. Uh, But... Leah, um, being the all-time Big Ten passing leader, uh, I think would come to a su- come as a surprise to many of you. Um, I don't have a problem with Leah opting out of the bowl game. This is happening all over the place. Players just don't want to risk any sort of future on a meaningless bowl game. Now, somebody you know could say, "Well, their season finale against Rutgers was meaningless too." Uh, true, um, but you know it was a game that was scheduled, uh, and he was going to finish out the regular season. Um, Look, I don't think Lee is going to get drafted. Uh, He's a good college quarterback. He's nowhere near the best Maryland quarterback of all time, despite the records that he set. Boomer Esiason's the greatest quarterback in Maryland football history. Uh, Whomever number two is... um, is a distant second behind Boomer. But there are a lot of choices for number two, actually. Maryland's had quite the the QB history 
uh, over the years. Uh, you know, really starting with the Bobby Ross years and then once again with uh, the Ralph Regan years. But Boomer would be number one. Um, number two would not be Frank Reich. Uh, Frank Reich just didn't start enough games. Frank Reich was Boomer's backup and then ultimately became Stan Gelbaugh's backup. Now, I think he started the 84 season and got hurt, but Reich's going to be known for the comeback win at Miami when they were down 31 nothing and came back and won that game 42-40, which was the greatest college comeback of all time uh, at the time. And then will, in the pros, be known for his comeback in the playoffs in 92 against the Oilers and Warren Moon when they were down 35-3, to and he came in for Jim Kelly. But Frank Reich's not the second-best quarterback behind Boomer in – in, uh, in the uh, program's history. I actually think that the second-best quarterback, and there are some choices, man. I mean, you know, you've got the Neil O'Donnells and you've got the Scott Milanoviches and some of the guys that put up some big, big numbers, you know, over the years. Um, for me, it would be Scott McBrien. I think Scott McBrien is number two behind Boomer. Again, a distant second. But Scott McBrien was sensational in 2002 and 2003 for Ralph Regan's teams that won double-digit games both years. He followed Sean Hill, who was the JUCO transfer who Ralph signed when he got the job. Uh, Sean Hill was tremendous that one year, leading Maryland to an ACC title. Sean Hill would not be on the short list of discussing the second-greatest quarterback in Maryland history, but he had one hell of a season. McBrien's two seasons, look, he may not be the greatest pass passer in or you know the, the second best passer behind Boomer in program history but as a quarterback as a dual threat guy I mean he was fast he was a great runner um, and he could throw the football too um, McBrien won some big games quarterbacked in some tremendous games uh, during those two years and they destroyed destroyed Tennessee in the Peach Bowl after 2002, destroyed West Virginia in the Gator Bowl on New Year's Day after the 2003 season. Um, he was a really good college quarterback, and I, I that would be my number two. Lot Many to choose from. After that, I don't know, man. Leah, I love him, and he accumulated numbers. There's not one memorable game or memorable season with Leah here. He just was a really good quarterback who who made Maryland competitive in a much more difficult Big Ten. You know, I acknowledge that, right? I mean, he was not quarterbacking in the ACC that some of the guys that I mentioned quarterbacked in. Um, he was a really good college quarterback. And the records are astounding, certainly. Um, but he's not in the history of the program in the top two anyway. And I think probably I could come up with compelling reasons as to him, you know, maybe just barely being in the top five, somewhere around there. Uh, but I, I I appreciated everything that he did as a player. Um, I, I did. Um, I don't know, is Scott McBrien number two controversial for some of you? I actually can't think of anybody that I would definitively make number two more than him. I mean, are Milanoviches and O'Donnells? And I, you know who I loved as a quarterback and I thought was very underrated for the Terps was Chris Turner and the couple of years that he played in the late 2000s. He was a really good pocket passer for Ralph. Uh, I don't think he ever had an NFL career. Maryland sent a lot of guys to the league. Um, Boomer's number one. 
I mean, I don't care what records Leah has. I mean, nobody uh, touches Boomer in terms of the number one quarterback in program history. All right, uh, that is it for the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy. Key play here coming up for Maryland. They're down by seven, third and nine. From the 15-yard line. Straight drop, Esiason. Double clutches, then throws to Badonic, who gets inside the five and scores. Boomer Esiason. Direct Badonic. The double clutch you talked about is what really sets this up. A pump fake sets it up so that Badonic can come around the linebacker, catch the ball, and then he's got a lane to the end zone right there as this crowd has gone crazy here in Bird Stadium in the third quarter. Jess Atkinson with Esiason holding, and they fake. They're going to go for two, and Esiason throws, and 